Well, good morning. We're going to, well, we already did start, but we're going to continue starting. I just have this sense of how much God wants to bless the earth. The heart of God is so filled with what he wants to pour out on you, on our city, on our province, on the nations. It's just this colossal abundance that's in his presence. And he says to the whole earth, as he says to us, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And so we have an opportunity this morning to be an example to the earth of what it looks like when a people draw near to God. A part of the witness that we present to the world is the evidence of how transformed we are when we draw near to God. But it says that he opens his hand and satisfies the need of every living thing. All the needs of every nation, the starving, the poor, the broken, every conceivable need that is in the earth, in the nations, he just has to open his hand. He'll satisfy that need. He's just looking for a people who will draw near to him and he will draw near to them. So don't look to the government, don't look to the police, don't look to any other organization on the face of the earth to bring the answers. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us and the answers that everybody needs will unfold. So Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we press into your presence. We draw near to you today in the full assurance of faith. We draw near to you, Lord. May the sound of the bride saying, come, be heard in this place. May the object of our faith be you that you would come down to the earth, that your presence would fill this place. Oh, we cry out to you with all our hearts, God. We say it's you we want. Let's, let's not lose the moment that we're in. It says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I, I became a man, I put away childish things. And there's, there's something that God is doing over the, over the long run of our lives. He's teaching us to seek him, that we might find him. And even though I'm born again today, and I know him there is only a knowing in a measure. And as Paul said, despite the fact that Paul knew him clearly more than anybody else, he cried out in Philippians that he would know him more. He longed, he longed, he longed. And even though Moses knew God more than anybody else, yet his, his cry was, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And so God is lengthening, lengthening the cords of our, of our capacity to cry out to him. Because even though we've attained and felt something, there's more. <laughs> and the question is always, how long can you seek me? Oh, and God, we want to say... We want to seek you. We want to know you. 
But God, give us grace to persevere. Let us be like a Daniel, Lord, for whom you could put world-changing events before him. And he sought you for 21 days. Oh, oh God. Oh, God, train us, Lord, to seek you. Lengthen the cords of our passion. And as we're singing this song, there's a, it's a tone in the song that longs for him, but sometimes we can let the song itself take over for us. But the song should be a conduit for our passion. And so don't lose sight of what it is we're longing for. We're seeking God on behalf of our province. We're seeking God on behalf of Fort McMurray. We're seeking God on behalf of what God intends for our nation. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. We're seeking you, Lord, for the destiny of nations. We're seeking you, God, for your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, God. In just a minute, we're going to begin to pray. And Bridget had a, a sense that I believe it's right to do a prophetic action around the fire in Fort McMurray. And so in a few minutes, uh, we're going to enter into that. And it's going to look like uh, we're going to have that flag represent the fire and be in the middle. And we're going to stand around it. We're going to come around it. And we're going to say, thus far and no further. Uh, we're we're going to say no to that thing. Now, do you remember there's two occasions specifically in the Old Testament where uh, physical circumstances were determined by spiritual action? Two very specific ones. One is where the Amalekites were warring against Israel. I believe it was the Amalekites. And Moses is standing up on the hill. And the fate of the battle is being determined by the worship of Moses. So Moses is standing on the mountain, and his hands raised are, in effect, stopping the Amalekites from prevailing. And prevailing means killing Israelites. So it wasn't the skill of the warrior on the battlefield that was determining who died. It was the worship of Moses on the hill overlooking the battle. Okay, that's the nature of the spiritual versus the natural. The spiritual rules over the natural. And the other classic example is what happened in the prophet's chamber when uh, Elisha was there and the king had come to see him. And Elisha was sick and he was uh, about to die. And the Philistines had been thwarting them. And uh, he prophesied over him and he said, he said, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And he said, shoot it out the window. And he shot it out. He said, now take the, the, these arrows and strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times. And the number of times that he struck determined the number of times that they won in battle. And so out of time and certainly out of place, the outcome of the battle was determined prophetically in the prophet's chamber. And that's, that is an example of the governance of God. That is the example of whatsoever is done in heaven being done on earth. That what happens on earth happens because of decrees uh, that are initiated in, in the heavenly places. And we are partners with God in this. And our faith determines these kind of outcomes. Can I have your attention? This is important. There are people dying today. I mean, uh, their, their lives are being destroyed. We need, we need to give ourselves to this moment. We need to get the resolve of faith right now. What if you saying no determined how many acres, were, how many homes were destroyed? What if your faith was on the line right here? Father, in the name of Jesus, as Jenna gets right in the center here, representing uh, the flames of that fire. I want you to come around her, and I want you to begin to pray. I want you to put your hands up. I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want you to say no. We say no in the name of Jesus. We say that this fire will be contained. 
We say in the name of Jesus, this fire will be contained. We say no this far and no further. In the name of Jesus, we stand as a fire barrier. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we strike the ground, we strike the ground. We call for the rains, we call for the winds to turn, we call for na nature in the name of Jesus. Come on, keep going, keep going until we get that sense, that resolution in our spirits. Father, we say, let there be rain. Let the clouds gather and let them release their moisture. Let the heavens open up. Let the winds push back the flames onto themselves. Let favorable winds begin to blow. When Elijah prayed for rain after it hadn't rained for three years, seven times he went and he put his head between his knees and he groaned as he prayed. And then he sent his servant to check. Do you see anything? And Gehazi went out and he looked and he looked. Six times he came back and he said, I don't see anything. The seventh time he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. So as we've been doing this, number one, the perseverance, seven times, seven times he travailed, put his head between his knees. That, that, that's a groan. Seven times. But he also checked. So I thought I'd check, and I just went to Twitter and looked, and Rachel Notley has just tweeted, they just had some rain in Fort McMurray, only a little bit, they need lots more, it stopped again, but we just want to keep, we want to keep praying, we just want to keep saying, Lord, send rain, God, send rain, send rain, send rain, send rain, send rain, send rain, Lord, send rain. Lord, we just want to declare Psalm 68, 7 to 10. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook, and heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. You settled your people in it, and from your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. Lord, we pray for the rain. We pray for the rain. You own the earth. Fire is nothing to you, God. We pray for your showers and your life over this place. In Jesus' name. Now, there's so, so many things on so many levels going on right now. But, you know, the king only struck the ground three times, probably because uh, he didn't understand Probably because he felt a little awkward. You know, this is getting a little weird now. Right? These are the exact same things we have to deal with. Unbelief, pride of mind, uh, on top of caring or not. Now, what if, what if you had authority to act on behalf of situations, not just now, but all the time. What would you give yourself to? Rees Howes was a man who, if you haven't read the book, Rees Howes' Intercessor, I really recommend you read it. Because uh, God used him in the most amazing way. Most often he prayed about things he didn't even know were happening. Well, how did he know when he was done? The witness of the Spirit. How did he know, how did he know when to pray? When to, the witness of the Spirit. There, there are capacities that you have in your spirit that you likely don't even know you have and you don't even know you use. Now, you may find yourself engaged this morning and thinking, oh, that was really good, you know. So what were the, what were the, what were the, what were the catalysts for you? Was it the emergency of the situation, the seriousness of it economically? Was it uh, the sheer uh, spectrum, I mean, the largeness of it? 
Was it your sense of compassion because you know people who are affected? What are the catalysts that would enable you to engage in a moment like this, but maybe let's say not next week when you don't, when you aren't intimately connected to the facts concerning this? The question is, do you have a capacity to respond to God's Spirit when He puts a burden on you to pray for something simply because there's a burden to pray for something? What if we could all get to that place where there's not need of a lot of justification to give ourselves for protracted periods of time to carrying something just because God knows it needs done and we are actually His servants? That's faith. That's operating in the Spirit. The, the truth is, God is in need of intercession and worshipers and people who stand in the gap all the time. And so I pray today that not only will this be fruitful, not only will there be evidence that will tell us, hey, some of this stuff works, but that we'll have a growing capacity to know that burden in the Spirit to pray in the middle of whatever we're doing, driving, walking, doing chores, and pray, and pray, and pray. One of the things I, uh, I learned by walking with certain intercessors and spiritual leaders, Pastor Bob Birch being one of them, is his, his resolute commitment that when a burden came, he gave himself to that. Consequently, his authority in the nation increased and increased and increased. Why? Because he was a reliable source so that when God came to him with a burden, he didn't, you know, well, I'm a little tired. I'm watching a movie. I'm Again, at what level do we want to engage in the kingdom of God and participate? And what kind of responsibility do we want to carry? What if there was just a lot more we could have? We just haven't availed ourselves of that. This is what God's looking for. So if, you're, if you want to have more authority in the kingdom, give yourselves to these kinds of things. And even if Sundays and Wednesdays is practice, give yourself to the practice so that when the time comes when something is hanging in the balance that is important, God will begin to go to you. And later on, when we stand before him, he'll say, remember this moment? Remember this moment? Well done, good and faithful servant. Remember this moment? Well done, good and faithful. Remember when you prayed here? That was for this. That was because somebody was going to die. That was because your cousin. That was because this person needed to get saved. That was because there was witchcraft. That was because, 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 because. There is an invisible world that's going on all the time that's more real than the world that we interact with. And we are Christians because we are aligning ourselves with the reality of that world and less and less with this one. So, Father, enlarge our discernment. Enlarge our capacity to respond to your spirit that we might know that this is real. In Jesus' name. A few years ago when fathers and mothers from across Canada began to walk together to deal with Canada's national sins, uh, God spoke to that team about Canada's anti-Semitism, which we didn't even know was there. And as it happened, my mom ended up being instrumental in, in uh, actually unveiling the deep roots of anti-Semitism that were in Canada through a book and a, about the St. Louis called None is Too Many. But I remember when we were first beginning to deal with this, how do you rid a nation of the roots of anti-Semitism? Uh, not by just saying, we bind you. It requires a certain threshold of authority. I mean, there are th certain things, authority God will give a governmental body of people to deal with in a land, but it requires that synergy, that unity, that, that God has to be sure you're going to deal with this before he's going to give you authority to deal with it. So that takes some time. But I remember the first time we began to repent about this, we were, it's about 500 of us gathered in Harrison Hot Springs. At the time, Prime Minister Jean Chrétien was the Prime Minister, and he was traveling in Europe. And we prayed, and uh, I mean, Canadians are not, by and large, repenters or weepers. We're, you know, we go to funerals, we don't even cry. But something hit that group, and there was, there was a lament, there was a, 
a deep, deep intercession that can only be ascribed to have been from God. And we felt something had begun to shift, but it was by no means done. But we got a sign the next day that something in the spirit had moved because the, the headlines in the papers the next day were that Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, out of the blue, made an unscheduled stop that day in Auschwitz, Poland. And uh, it was the first time a sitting prime minister had ever visited a concentration camp. And he signed and made a declaration to the Canadian the international media that Canada would be a leading nation to ensure this kind of anti-Semitism and this kind of atrocity never happened again. And it was a sign to us at the time that if we as the church would hear from heaven, if we would begin to hear what is on his heart, if we would give a heart, if we would give ourselves to intercede, to do that business, seeking the kingdom of God, that the hands of government, that we could not move, he would move. And this is what God is trying to teach us, what he's trying to teach the king of Israel, that what happens in the prophet's chamber determines the outcome. That the security of your nation, the security of your cities, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord watch the city, the watchmen watch in vain. That all of these things are held together by spiritual devices that God has foreordained to rule the world with. And we're, you know, we have that promise. We're going to rule and reign with him. But how many of you know before, you know, anybody gives you authority to do anything, you have to be able to do it. Hello? We will only rule and reign with him in eternity in as much as we have ruled and reigned with him on the earth. When he gives one city, five cities, ten cities to rule over in his parable, it was based on a faithfulness from before. Hello? So we're not just waiting to go to heaven. We are learning to rule now because as he is now, so are we in this world. So, Father, uh, may you find a people who can rule in the gates of the city here in Spruce Grove. Father, may we be voices, God, that break through on behalf of what's happening, Lord, in our city, in our province. May we have the kind of faith, Lord, that enables us, like Daniel, to seek you for 21 days straight. God, may we have the kind of faith like Moses that stands over the battle. May we have the kind of faith like Elisha that makes those decrees and proclamations. Oh. Lord, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we want to know, Lord, what they are. Oh, God, take away the fog from our minds. Take away the, the opaque, smoky, blurred view that we have and give us a clear vision. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen? And let me say one more thing. Because we need to have economic, economic structures that are biblical. God is not against oil development. And that, that is an antichrist, anti-man spirit that would decimate our, our economies for an ideology. When God gave and promised the land of Israel, one of the things he said, he said, there are minerals in the, in the mountains, go get them. There's iron there, et cetera, et cetera. He put those things in the ground for us to take them out of the ground. And I rebuke and I stand against that political philosophy that says that we should serve the earth and the earth not serve us. It's a godless philosophy that we reject. 
That doesn't mean we are without responsibility to store the environment and do it rightly, but we are doing it better virtually than every other nation on the face of the earth. But so in the spirit, we stand right now against the philosophy that would destroy our economy, that would destroy our future, that would destroy our destiny. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If there's anybody here that thinks we ought not to be political, uh, I'm telling you, political philosophy comes out of your view of God. What you believe about God and the origins of man will determine your political philosophy. So there is no dividing. Now, which, which party we support? We're not partisan that way. We support philosophies that are equal to our philosophies about who God is. In that sense, we are political because there's no, there's no separating these things. Are we clear on this? The Word tells us how we should believe and what we should believe. So, Father, we want to align with you. We want this province to align with you. And so, God, we, we break the power of all those, those thoughts from around the globe that are actually fueling this fire, the curses, Lord, of those who hate us, who hate Alberta because of what it stands for financially, economically, those who hate industry, those who hate man. Father, we stand against those philosophies and we cut off the power of those judgments in Jesus' name. We bless this province. We bless this province as an energy-producing province, whether that energy is oil, whether that energy is nuclear energy, whether that energy is a newfound source of, of, uh, of power. We, we bless this province in its capacity to produce, in its capacity to sustain and bless the nations. We bless Alberta. We bless Alberta. I looked in my reflection and I saw God's eyes and he said he was mad. He said he was fiery with angry anger, and he said he wants us to believe and have faith in him. I had her share that because I posted this morning, at, early this morning, a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, is that his name? Who's, who was a prisoner in Russia and studied extensively um, communism and the death of 60 million people. And he attributed all of that mayhem to one single thing. He said, he said because the nation forgot God. And, uh, and so, Lord, we ask that our province would remember God. That true faith would arise again. Men and women of faith. God, we repent. We repent on behalf of the unbelief that both us and others have carried, God, not just them out there, but us, God, forgive us for our unbelief. We want to honor you with all of our hearts, with all of our strength. We want to bless your name and say, blessed is the land, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I'm going to share a couple of cool things with you today. And uh, I started writing this article, and I call it The Cryptic Nature of Christianity. Father, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of you would flow to us today. Father, we, I pray you'd open the eyes of our understanding, God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that our ears and our eyes would be open to hear what you are saying to us, what you've made available to us in Jesus' name. So I've got about 50 scriptures here ready to go, but let me just say this to begin with. There is this idea that God is, an, uh, is all about equal opportunity. 
And he is about equal opportunity, but everything has to be his way. So the fact is Christianity is a closed secret society. Now, it doesn't have secret handshakes. It doesn't have secret pledges. It doesn't have secret meetings, you know, where only a few people are allowed. You know, largely, it's, it's an open society, but access to the things that make the mechanics, make for the mechanics of the kingdom of God are secret. They are locked. They are hidden. And God is unapologetic about the fact that those things are hidden because while it is a secret society, it is open to whosoever will, but it's whosoever will. Hello? If you will, then the kingdom will begin to open to you But God has ordained key moments in your life where he challenges your belief, your heart, uh, your inner being about certain things. And only when you align with him will those things begin to unlock. And we're going to we're going to look at some of the patterns of that in a minute, because you need to see that's what Jesus. That's how Jesus walked with his disciples. That's how he talked to them. That's how he functioned with them. That's the that was the essence of his message to, to others. And when it came to the Pharisees, it was very much his approach that they were on the outside and he was on the inside. And again, he was unapologetic about the prejudicial nature of the kingdom of God. It is closed in that sense. And uh, so the question is, I guess, for us is, well, how do we get in? What does it take for these things? Are there actually secrets I've heard a number of guys down through the years are fun to saying there are no secrets. Let me tell you. If you think the only mystery in the kingdom of God is you must be born again, you are sadly mistaken. In him are hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. The Bible says that it's, a, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter And it is the glory of kings to what? Search it out, yeah. That's that's this pilgrimage. Our Our whole journey is based on a belief that there is treasure and that it will be found by those who seek it. That's why it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. The requirement is to seek It's closed, but it's open. The invitation is there, but there are requirements. And we are not, we don't need to be apologetic about the fact that there are requirements. And um, God has so constructed this thing that he keeps the proud out. It says, you know, there's a a highway of holiness. It talks about in Isaiah. It says, and a fool shall not be found thereon. You know why? He can't find the on-ramps. <laughs> he just can't find the on-ramps. Like, you know, it's, just, it's hidden. It's protected. You know, it's like uh, Indiana Jones. The penitent will pass. Right? You remember that? Those of you that are allowed to watch movies. So, now the truth is the kingdom of God is a labyrinth of hidden treasures layered and ordered so as to sift out the proud while it rewards faith and humility. All may enter, but at a cost. The payment that's required is your ways for his ways, your thoughts for his thoughts. And he is unyielding on this matter. He will not compromise. And the beautiful thing about this is when we stand at the end, we're going to realize, ah, if only I had been more willing to give up my thoughts on this, I could have had that, or I could have had that, or I could have had that. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Actually, before we look at a couple of scriptures, um, I'll give you two quick stories. I remember uh, back in Bible college, Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, there was a... uh, fellow used to come, his name was Chuck Flynn. I mentioned him before. He's a very colorful character. Besides being about 325 pounds he, and bald, he was, a, he was a prophet of enormous proportions. 
I mean, he had a lot of spiritual substance to him. He, he was, and, and he spoke like a typical prophet. He spoke in kind of poetic language. He spoke in mystic terms. You know, when he prophesied, it was like all of the biblical language you could think of, you know, all, you know, it was, it was beautiful. I loved to listen to him. And, and I was stunned one day. We were sitting there talking to, with some of my friends, and, they, and we were talking about Chuck Flynn. They said, yeah, I, I love him, but I don't understand a word he says. That's what my, I, thought, I thought, what, really? I, I think he speaks so plainly. I, I understand everything. Now, maybe in the end, you know, maybe what he meant and what I understood is, are different. But he used to say things like, like this, and I, it's the only one I remember, so I know you've heard it before. He says, the revelation of Jesus is like you take a stone and skip it across uh, the pond and where it touched down, there's the revelation of Jesus. And that's what the scriptures are all about. I love that. And I would see that, that pictorial picture to me as well. That's exactly the messianic revelation of Jesus is like these random places throughout Scripture where the, the stone touches in. And everywhere where those go, there's a pocket, there's a pool of revelation about Jesus. And so uh, I, I, lo- I loved his style. But I wondered at the time, why, why don't you guys see? Why don't you understand? Why is he so hard to understand for some people? Well, let me tell you, Jesus was hard to understand. And uh, we should realize that. Jesus is very hard to understand. Uh, I had another story about this. Um, oh, I remember, yeah, it was a few years ago. I was doing a show, and I, had, uh, I was interviewing and talking with somebody on the show who's, who's well-known. And I can't remember what we were talking about, something basic in the kingdom of God, at least basic to me. And I got a letter from a, a viewer who was just mad as a hornet. And the, they were mad as a hornet because they said, what are you guys doing talking in your cryptic language, your secret sayings and all this kinds of thing? And I, I thought, well, what are you talking about? I don't even know if I went back and, and watched the show. But I've run into this time and time and time again where it, where not only myself, but others who are, who are, you know, really, to me, just talking normal are, are accused of being mystic or secretive or concealing certain things. And uh, here's, here's the deal. God will give understanding to those who walk in faith. I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures here, but... Let me be clear about this. It's not your intellect that makes you understand the kingdom. It's a spirit of revelation. A spirit of revelation will enable you to understand the kingdom. Now, the problem is this, is, well, what if some yoho who wants to be a cult leader takes that line? Well, that's their prerogative. In fact, that was the problem with Jesus, that that the Pharisees and the guys looking on, they didn't understand him, and they were like, how do we know you're not, you know, a future Jones guy? You know, the Jones guy who had all this, what's his name? Jim Jones, you know? But, I mean, that's their, that's their fear. Now, they have an ulterior motive, really, because they had other things. But though all those things compacted together, their ambitions, their pride, their unwillingness to really want this upstart to come in and to lead anything was insulated them from receiving him, but also they just did not understand. On what basis are we supposed to listen to you? How do we know your doctrine is right? I mean, you're saying things nobody ever said before. How can I be sure this is true? How did Jesus help them? We've talked about this before. He did not. He did not help them. Why? Because in the kingdom, there's a catch-22. If you see, you see. If you don't see, you don't see. Well, then how do we see? Those are the hidden things. Humility and faith will enable you to see. That's why he said to the Pharisees, if you say you see, your sin remains. So the, the assumption that you know is the very thing that's causing you not to know. Okay, well, all right, then I'll just say it. I, I don't know. Good try. 
No, you actually have to have real brokenness, real humility. Well, let me, let me read a couple of scriptures here. There's many of them. Where shall I start first? It's a cornucopia of beauty. Isn't that a nice word? Cornucopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 78.2 says this, I will open my mouth in, in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, Jesus quoted that in Matthew, uh, Matthew 13, 35. And it's a, a parable that really articulates the way that Jesus functioned because when Jesus shared parables, he shared them in order to keep the truths he was sharing about locked down. He did not share these things as illustrations like I would do. He did it so that those that we're hearing would not understand. And I, I, we've covered that before, right? Yeah, you know those scriptures. Anybody not know those scriptures? Okay, if you don't know those scriptures, talk to Jim afterwards. He'll look at them. But the parables are not given to reveal a matter. They are given to conceal a matter. And only the heart that understands will see them. Well, here's the problem. Even the, the disciples didn't understand. And so what, he, what Jesus did, he said, he said it's given, uh, you know, I'm going to share with you the secrets of the parables afterwards when we're in private. Why? Because it's a closed society. I, I feel like, man, the, the wheels are turning. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to resist the impulse to alleviate your discomfort. Because this is a part of the, the issue, is that, that God has a way to confound your, own, your wisdom, to confound your ways in order to get you to lay something down. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. What does that mean, lean not on your own understanding? That means don't trust your own understanding. Don't value your understanding as the means to get the secrets of the king. You can't figure this out. It has to be revealed. And it's sought for through humility and faith. See, and here's the thing. If you don't believe, you stop searching. Right? You lose your wallet. Your wife says it's in the bedroom. She saw it there five minutes ago. Okay. You will continue seeking as long as you believe she's right. But if you keep seeking, eventually at some point, you start to believe, no, I, I think she's mistaken. And then you stop seeking. Faith is the catalyst that enables you to continue seeking. If you know that you know that you know that the wallet is in the car, you will look until you find it. Until you are convinced it's not in the car. Then you stop seeking. You see, the faith enables you to seek. You have to believe. That's why it's, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But it takes faith. You have to believe. Belief enables you to persevere, to press past into something that, that your natural thinking, your natural mind will not do. Faith is not your natural convictions. It's something else. So, uh, I will open my mouth in parables. Here's another one. Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 5 and 6 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. So this proverb is saying, essentially he's just saying this, that Wisdom, a spirit of wisdom will enable you to unravel dark sayings. Father, increase in us this desire. There are, this morning as I was, I was sitting in my house, I, I felt the beauty of wisdom. I, I don't think I have ever felt it as tangible as this, but I was sitting in my chair and I was thinking about these passages and there was a, there was a, 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 a presence that was so sweet 
It suddenly made me think of Psalm 19 where it talks about God's precepts being sweeter than the honeycomb. I mean, there's, there's something in wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. You know, the, Jesus is wisdom. The wisdoms of Proverbs is demonstra- it's articulated poetically as a woman. And, uh, and it's a person. Wisdom is a person. That person is Jesus. And he has a presence with him. And one of the things that God is doing is he's be- causing us to become familiar with the scent of wisdom so that we'll, we'll penetrate, we'll press forward into wisdom. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that we would begin to desire wisdom more than anything else. Father, in the name of Jesus. Um, so how did Jesus do this? When he was ministering, because here's the thing, it's, it's so contradictory on the one hand, because the message is made for the masses, and yet what you're saying is it's concealed from the masses, the meaning of it. Isn't it... Isn't it there to get people saved? Yes. But people are only saved through faith. So, well, what if they don't understand? Can we make it clearer to them? Well, you can try. But the nature of human understanding is it cannot understand spiritual things. It just can't. That's why I have this great scenario and the guy was healed, you know, He's blind from birth. I shared this before, and Jesus heals him, and then he goes to the, the Pharisees, and they say, well, what, what happened? He said, well, this guy, Jesus, he healed me. Well, how did he do that? Well, you know, he spit on the ground, and he put it on my, what? I'm not sure if he, I'm not sure if he was ever blind. Somebody's got to be fooling us here. Where's his parents? His parents say, yeah, yeah, that's our son. Yeah, he was blind. Well, how, how did he do this again? Well, he spit on the ground, and he... And he so they talked amongst them. Well, how did he do this again? And they're like, and the blind guy's like, what? You want me to tell you again? It's very simple. What, why was it so hard? Because their lack of faith, their willingness to believe some ulterior, they're looking for gaps in the presentation so as to excuse their unbelief. Unbelief always works that way. If you don't believe, then you're listening. Oh, that doesn't line up. Faith believes. Jesus gave his disciples every opportunity to not believe. And when they didn't believe, he made it harder. You remember that? John, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He said it. He said that, talk about a dark saying, right? And he, afterwards he said, I said this because some of you do not believe. Well, shouldn't you say something helpful? <laughs> something that would inspire belief? This is, and this is what we don't understand. No, faith comes from hearing the word. Faith comes from some other part of your being, not your mind, that resonates inside you. This is true. Despite the fact that my mind is going in circles. I believe this to be true. If, I, if my conviction is reinforced by preponderance of the evidence, it's not faith. If, if I would need to have scientists backing this up, then it's not faith. Now, scientists will discover it's all true. It's just a matter of time. You know, God's going to draw back that veil. Say, well, it was, the evidence was there all along, you and your evolution. So, similarly, things are being shielded, hidden from us. And God is saying, come on. He's encouraging our faith. Come on. Yeah, but if you're God and, I, you know, you're real, shouldn't these other things be happening? Well, that's for me to decide. Oh, hallelujah. 
Job 5, 12 to 14 says, he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own counsel, in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime. They grope at noon as in the night. In John 7, they were asking Jesus about his doctrine, and uh, this is exactly what he said to them. Because they were wondering, you know, how, how can we believe you? You're so unorthodox. He says, my doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the dark doctrine, whether I speak in my own authority. Turn to Matthew 5, or sorry, Matthew 8. We'll look at this one scenario here, because I need you to see that there's a correlation between understanding and faith. Matthew 8, start reading in verse 5. And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, uh, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does this. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is... a. Uh, a really, really interesting passage around the centurion. There's a couple of things to to realize here. First of all, um, you have to realize the humility of the centurion because there was a, a real class distinction and the goyim, the, the, the Gentiles, were considered unclean. And so uh, the centurion is going to Jesus, but he's going to him recognizing that, uh, you know, he's not allowed actually, according to rabbinical law and the rest of that, to have a lot of contact with him or be in his house or anything. So, you know, he could have come with an agenda. Remember that that Syrian who wanted to get healed and Naaman, what was his name? And he was upset because he he didn't get to, cl to dip in a real clean river, right? And that almost became the barrier between him and his healing. Was it what? Aren't you know? This is a dirty river. I'm. A, I'm. A, don't you know who I am? I'm too important to be dipping at your command. He won't even come out of the house. He sends his servant to come and say, "Yeah, yeah, go dip." So what? What is the barrier? Pride. And his servant has to listen. If he'd asked you for a hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? You know, if he asked you for a thousand foreskins, right? Would you have done it? Yeah. If he asked you if you're, you know, you would have jumped through hoops. He's just asking, come on. It's about humility. Humility was, was the barrier. And so, uh, in the same way, humility was the key for the centurion. He was willing to not even, you know, I, I don't even need you. I'm willing to submit to you, you know, the draconian, uh, Judaic, you know, things that you guys have. Uh, so you don't have to do that. He immediately said, no, I don't mind you being considered a second-class citizen here. Wow. Oh, if this was God, God would be no respecter of persons, and that would just, you know. And, of course, Jesus was willing, so that really was an issue. But that's the way we often approach God. I remember hearing a few years ago there was a revival going on somewhere, and, and I asked him, oh, are you going to go down to the revival? He said, uh, no. And I said, well, why not? Well, God wants to touch me. He can touch me right here. Okay, then. No touch. Right? That's not faith. That was arrogance. 
I will not go where God is moving in a spectacular way because my faith is great enough to believe that God will not touch me here. <laughs> anyway, so, but here's the other thing. So there's humility there. He was willing to accept whatever terms Jesus was giving him. But here's the other thing. Is, was it faith so much as it was understanding? I mean, you know, Jesus says, Wow, I've never seen such faith in all my life. Why didn't he say, wow, I've never seen such a comprehension of the dynamics of the kingdom of God? Right? You, you understand the nature of spiritual authority. You were able to deduce by seeing that this is the way the kingdom of God. Therefore, this was a credible manifestation of the kingdom. And therefore, you released yourself to it. What a great revelation you have. Revelation... Knowledge, understanding, always goes with faith. Always. How many times? Always. When you don't comprehend, it's because you do not believe. Let me say that unashamedly. When you do not understand, it is because you do not believe. Faith in the heart is what opens comprehension to the spiritual. Faith in the heart is what causes you to see, otherwise you're blind. That's why the whole approach that, well, if I just explain it more, you can't explain people into salvation. It's got to be revelation. In the same way, every other part of the kingdom, everything is entered into by revelation. Faith and humility are the building blocks for this. So if you are ever cut out of something, just realize that, man, with a little more humility... And a little more faith, you will understand. Oh, I don't like that Chuck Flynn guy. He's just too mystic. I don't like that Jesse Lotz guy. Not Jesse Lotz. I mean, Jesse Martineau. Jesse Martineau, what, what is he doing? How do I know that's even valid? He's talking about all these things he sees. How do I know he's not Jim Jones? How do you know? How do you know anything? You know and you know her. Faith. Faith. And this is the way the kingdom of God works. You have to believe. Well, I'm not willing to believe. Okay, well, then you stay where you are. You don't break through. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thought this stuff was all real good, and I started to go into it, and then all this, this stuff happened around my life, and things are difficult, and things are hard, and there's warfare, and now I'm not sure if this is real. If, it was, if this was God, wouldn't it be easier? Sure, tell that to Jesus. Uh, this is God. Wouldn't that be easier? <laughs> right? There are these amazing treasures. There is. Uh, there are secrets in the kingdom of God that God wants and longs to bring us into it, but He has a criteria that it requires from us. No pride, no unbelief. Pride and unbelief are the biggest barriers to the church advancing. And uh, every time I run into somebody, particularly in ministry, somebody who, who starts to belittle the fact that there are hidden things, I know somebody, I see somebody who's stagnated. God's ways are past finding out. Now, you're here. You're believing. You're, you're going along. You're growing. You're developing, hopefully. And um, how, do you, how do you break through to that next level? I mean, you know, is it a matter of hearing a sermon and saying, yeah, I believe this. Yes, that's a great start. But the truth is there are things going on in your life right now that are eroding unbelief and eroding pride. And God could do some things all of a sudden, but you would not be able to bear the cost. So he, you know, puts it little by little. And uh, you remember that show, uh, Karate Kid? When uh, his master, Mr. Miyagi, he says, uh, wax the, you know, paint the fence, 
wax the car, you know. When you wax, you wax like this, and then you go like this. So do this 50 times, and then do this 50 times. And, and you know, it's, I, I want to learn karate, and here I am polishing your car, painting your fence. And, of course, later on, when he shows them certain moves, he suddenly realized, well, he had, he had developed strength in this technique of movement that, you know, that this and this and this and wax on and wax off. It was all purposeful and intentional to build something in him. That's what God is doing right now in your life. That everything that's happening in your life is for the purpose that he could give you his mysteries. It's just a question of how long will it take before you that thing that he's building in you or removing, how long is it going to take? Do you believe? I feel like there's this almost a struggle in the room. I feel like I'm hitting things, pride, unbelief. These things don't steal from, well, I guess they deal, steal from us corporately, but uh, they're always visited upon us. And we have an opportunity simply to do this, to expedite the process, to say to God, you know, I, whatever it takes, I want to believe. I want to believe. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees at one point. He said this, and I, I know I've shared this before as well. He said, uh, the reason you cannot understand my speech, right? What are we talking about? Understanding. The reason you can't understand my speech is because you cannot hear my word. Here's the, here's the mechanics of this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Right? So faith in, is increased by us hearing the word, and so is understanding. But if you can't hear the word, not only do you not get understanding, but you don't get faith. Well, how do we get in? There's no way. That is, there's no artificial way. There's no artificial way. We are on the threshold, I believe, of a significant shift in, in the average competency spiritually of the believing community. I believe we are at a place where God is going to up, up the level of understanding. I mean, it used to be uh, a few years ago, and I, I had it in this very church, where, where when I first came here, people, key leaders complained about that uh, these spiritual concepts are too high and, you know, for the people. But they weren't too high for the people. They were too high for them. Because there's nothing worse than being in the church for 30 years and having to admit that though you're an elder, that you don't understand something that kids are getting. So we'll just dumb it all down. There are no mysteries. Anybody pretends they're mysteries just trying to get one over on you? Or we can grow. Or we can say, God, I want to understand how this works. I want to understand how this works. I want to know. I believe we are on a threshold of discovering things about the kingdom of God that have never been revealed to any other generation in the past. Even though they're right there in Scripture. They're right there, right in front of us. We've glossed over them and, 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 uh, and missed the, the, the essential meaning of so many things. Why? Because like the highway to holiness, we can't see the on-ramps. Father, I just pray right now, and I can feel, I can feel a, that heart desire. Oh. Father, we pray right today to say, and we say, Lord, we want to know. Holy Spirit, teach us. We want we love your wisdom. We love your mysteries. We love the things you know. Lord, make us men of wisdom, Lord, that can unravel dark sayings. Oh, God, open to us, Lord, the treasury of riches that is in the depth of your heart.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So let me finish by saying this. You are on a tailor-made journey where God is God has prepared experiences expressly for you. The disciples, despite the fact that they were often confused, and they often misunderstood what Jesus meant when he said things, even up to the day he died on the cross, only after he rose, after they had the Holy Spirit, did they begin to understand certain things. That experience is meant to be our experience. Even though those things were explained, there was a level of revelation and wisdom they came into that we are meant to come into. And so I want you to just embrace today what God is doing in your life, that there's nothing by accident. God has created, like Mr. Miyagi, a perfect trial to erode those things inside of you. And uh, all you have to do is stick with it. You know, the disciples had a lot of that in them. They had a lot of unbelief and they had a lot of pride. But they had enough of a belief that he was the one that they stuck to this thing. And that's what carries you through. So, Father, thank you, God, that you are instructing us in the kingdom of God. And though while this morning may be somewhat unclear, somewhat unspecific, I pray that just the nearness of the beauty of your wisdom, of what is available to us, God, would draw our hearts, that you would, uh, you would ravish our hearts, Lord. That we would uh, just long for you more than we long for anything else. That, Lord, the sound of our worship and the sound of our seeking would reach heaven because we desire, because we desire you more than anything else. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord.